Mormon Matters podcast features panel discussions of topics related to The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Whether about Mormon teachings, scriptures, contemporary events, or Mormon culture, it seeks to explore all themes with fairness and respect, searching for robust presentations of issues and compassion for all people in questions. The podcast is a production of the Open Stories Foundation and is seeking to build financial support that will help it continue to produce important and helpful content. All donations to Mormon Matters are fully tax-deductible. To support the podcast, please become a monthly subscriber today at mormonmatters.org. Thank you for your support. everyone to another edition of the Mormon Matters podcast. This is your host Dan Weatherspoon. I'm giving myself permission to do something other than just panel discussions. And one of the things I decided for this 2018 year is to interview interesting people within Mormonism in a more one-on-one basis. I mean, I've rarely done it in the past, but I think now maybe about once a month, I'm going to find a favorite friend and just talk in deeper ways about them on particular subjects of interest to them or things that I know that they have something to say, rather than always designing a theme for a show and then bringing people on that I know can address that theme. This will be a little bit more one-on-one, but yet bigger or uh, multiple topics kind of thing. And my first guest that I'm trying this this for in 2018 is Bill Reel, who many of you will know as the host of the Mormon Discussions podcast, as well as uh, he will tell us in a minute here, I hope, as he introduces himself a lot of, uh, well, he's kind of the umbrella guy for a lot of other podcasts as well. So, Bill, welcome to Mormon Matters for the first time. I can't believe I haven't had you on. I know, Dan. How is it? How does this happen? I don't know. I'm grateful, though, for the chance to be with you and grateful for the chance to just sit down and have a conversation and to talk about some, uh, maybe just some interesting things in Mormonism, but as well as maybe kind of how I frame it. Cool. And yeah, um, all the things that we have talked about ahead of time are really interesting topic areas for me, too. So I'm excited for us to dive in. But let's do this first. Would you quickly tell us where you're living, you know, uh, family, all that kind of stuff, and then move into a little bit the um, Mormon discussion podcast that you host as well as I know you host a couple of these other ones, uh, at least from time to time. Uh, but you have sort of an umbrella organization that now has, I guess, an additional five other podcasts. Yeah, yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So tell us all about that. Sure. So uh, born and raised in Sandusky, Ohio, it's kind of a, a small inner city stuck between uh, Cleveland and Toledo near Cedar Point, the amusement park. Um, but up until about three years ago, I'd been there my entire life. And then three years ago, we, we took a leap of faith and our family moved on a job opportunity, which actually was a listener to my podcast who got to know me and said, I just got to have you live near me so we can talk Mormonism all the time. And uh, so he you know, said, let's, let's make this work. And so I moved to Southern Utah. I live in Santa Clara presently, although we're doing some house hunting and, uh, 
southern Utah. I mean, I went from Ohio where there was three foot of snow in the winter to uh, a place where I'm lucky if I see a little bit of snow once a year. Um, my, I've been married. My wife and I celebrated our 20th anniversary this year. I've got four children from the ages of 18 down to 12, and uh, we're just loving it out here in uh, southern Utah. Um, in terms of the podcast, the podcast is mormondiscussionpodcast.org. That's the original URL. But over the last 12 months, we've adopted uh, several other podcast hosts in their programs and trying to help them essentially get on their feet and provide them a uh, an already grown listenership and and they're they're also putting out a great you know great programs you've got the first one to join was Radio Free Mormon uh, he's an anonymous fellow uh, who essentially dissects Mormonism takes kind of these interesting topics and goes back into the history uh, the next one was uh, Jack Nanique with um, Mormon Awakenings and it's more of a Buddhist Mormon approach which has been great uh, the Mormon Wellness Project with Wendy Perry, more of a health professional type of uh, program, and she's doing a beautiful job uh, editing sound effects and different um, audio clips and things into her program. There's uh, also the Cognitive Dissidents podcast, which is actually one that I'm also hosting as well. Uh, and then there's the Mormon History podcast, and there's a few other smaller ones, uh, but the Mormon History podcast is the newest edition. And it's a, a gentleman named Skyler who is essentially taking these kind of quieter moments in history that we don't read about or know about and kind of dissecting those so that we can kind of appreciate maybe more of those smaller moments. Great. Um, let's talk for a second a little bit about these podcasts and your relationship to them. I'm, I'm guessing it's somewhat similar to like the Open Stories Foundation, which is an umbrella over mine, and they don't really control the content so much as just agree to host and i imagine there's some standards for the people that uh mormon discussions you know podcasts i guess uh you know th that umbrella organization is that kind of the the setup here so i just maybe just to back up a moment i i looked about a year ago and said you know i don't know that i'm going to be able to do this for another 20 30 40 years but i i find lds podcast interesting and i find what they what they do to help people on their journeys, I find that interesting and I find it useful and helpful. And so I said to myself, like, I've got to create something where I can support folks who who have a good voice, who have a good story to tell, who who approach interviews or conversations in an interesting way. And so starting a year ago, I started to kind of just reach out to people and say, Hey, if you're if you're interested, I find you to be an interesting person in Mormonism. Would you mind? Maybe you know joining up and uh, and providing a podcast, and so we've had different voices try it, and some of those, um, for whatever reason, just didn't hang around very long. I think podcasting is kind of an interesting thing yeah. that sounds easier than what it is. Absolutely. And then and then other voices have jumped in. Um, the idea at this point, I mean, as a as a five hundred one c three, we've only brought in like um, I think eighteen thousand dollars this year, so. It's not something where we're set up kind of like the open stories where we're paying people based on downloads, although we're hoping to get to that and we're hoping in 2018 that some of that will happen. Okay. But essentially, the way this is going to be set up, we're in the middle of a website renovation and the new URL, and it's not available yet, so the listeners don't need to necessarily go there, but it's going to be mormondiscussions.org. And then once you land at that landing page, you'll see the other podcast, you'll see the other host. You can click on the podcast, click on the host, and go off to these various programs. They'll have their own web page. The, 
the Mormon discussion incorporated essentially will be the umbrella of all those and will be the main admin, but each of these hosts will have freedom to design their page how they want and to uh, incorporate what material they want to into uh, their website. Okay, great. Now, I know Mormon discussion uh, has the subheading of leading with faith, and that's certainly how I've found you. You're always trying to, uh, you know, be fair to say, I think, there is, you know, something spiritual going on in the world, and I think Mormonism has its piece of it, despite all of its problems and all that stuff. Um, do you have some sort of litmus test for others who come on that they would sort of at least have that faith component? I know certainly Jack Nanique and Mormon Awakenings does. Um, tell me, tell me more about uh, if you have any requirements like that. I don't. I just want this to be interesting. So Mormon Discussion Podcast, Leading with Faith, will continue. But the other one I do, the Cognitive Dissidence Podcast, while it tackles more of the psychology of religious thought, uh, it is it does tend to be a little more critical. And I know Radio Free Mormon, while I think he is honest to the data, and I think he, he at times presents faithful ideas – um, I think he also is just going to be a little bit more critical. Right, Jack that's, Nanique, how I, that's how I've experienced him. I right, know. and Jack Nick, on the other hand, is a little more faithful. Um, I, I just what I want is there to just be interesting programs, and I don't I don't really necessarily care where they are along the spectrum. Okay, as long as they're fair and honest to the information. All right. Well, I was just curious if yeah you had any sense of uh, you know you were going to be an aggregator or at least a, you know, a gathering place, a, a, what do you call it, a, a clearinghouse for a good podcast. And I didn't know if you had, you know, a sort of, a, as long as it's in the, the dynamic that I'm trying to do, you know, do your own thing, but within that. So that's great to know. Well, I'm excited to um, have you on. You have spoken about your own journey at length in lots of places, and I know that there's actually a link on your website that I will post as a link to mine where people can go into more depth. But would you mind giving um, our listeners who maybe are meeting you for the first time, um, you know, a five to ten minute uh, outline of, you know, who you were and when you found the church and why you found the church, and you ended up being quite the, uh, you know, rising star is that the way to say it i don't know if that's that's a how you and i feel comfortable saying it anymore but you ended up in some high leadership positions and things like that and let's let's kind of go up to that point to where then we can get a little bit more into your journey part where you've begun to you know kind of deconstruct a bit more sure i grew up with zero religious background only went to church for funerals and weddings and that was even few and far between i i rarely ever had a conversation with god uh, didn't even know if there was a God, but I would pray to see if he would bring me a new bicycle or a new girlfriend. Um, that's kind of my uh, utilitarian use of God, right? And and so growing up without any religion, my, my dad uh, may be a little bit of a, a deist. My mom is was an inactive Baptist, but religion just wasn't part of our home. I get to be an older teenager I find employment with a fast food restaurant. I meet a wonderful young girl there who wants to date me. I want to date her. And she happens to be LDS. Uh, her father kind of wraps his arm around me and says, look, if you're dating my daughter, we'd love if you came to church. And and from there, like my relationship with Mormonism begins on this really just magical uh, kind of endeavor where I show up at church the first time and it just seems like this perfect fit for what I need in my life. Before this, I'm making lots of bad choices. I'm using and selling drugs, 
kind of just going down the wrong path. And Mormonism just kind of picked me up and just kind of set me down on this new path. And that new path was was way better. It was me wanting to be responsible, me wanting to um, get a good job and, and be a good father and be a good husband. And, and so I ended up taking this young lady to the Washington, D.C. temple. We're sealed for time and all eternity. And, and maybe to back up a touch, the moment after I joined the church, uh, within like a week or two as a, you know, ironic priesthood holder, I am called to be an assistant ward mission leader. Wow. I move right in. Yeah. Yeah. And just a few weeks, you know, after that kind of something happens in the ward and I moved into um, being a secretary in the elders quorum. And then I get the priesthood and it's kind of like this ward out in the mission field. So you got to kind of be flexible because there's like a hundred people showing up and it's like a really small ward. And, and so I, I start, you know, as I go to the temple, I get the Melchizedek priesthood. I'm moving through the elders quorum callings um, as a secretary, then a counselor. Uh, then I become a counselor in young men's presidency. Then I'm called to be the elders quorum president. Then I'm called to be a counselor in the bishopric. And at the age of 29, I'm called to be the bishop of the ward that I converted to. Well, that would be fun for some of the older folks to say, whoa, I saw this kid when he was, what, 17 or something? And and here's their right. bishop now. That's awesome. I, I got a chance to kind of care for the people who cared for me, right? These people who wrapped their arms around this this teenager who who just doesn't look or walk or talk like a Mormon. And he's making these choices that that they know is contrary to the gospel, and yet they wrap their arms around me and they love me. And and so I get this chance to kind of reciprocate that. And and so I have this chance to to serve as the bishop of this ward and just to love these people. But uh, And again, I should also back up. I'm doing that a lot. But I should back up and say that when I was investigating the church, I read Fawn Brody's No Man Knows My History. I knew the issues. I spent a lot of time in apologetics, fair, uh, fair Mormon uh, the old farms then becomes the Maxwell Institute, uh, the new, the old New Jerusalem site with the Book of Mormon Answer Man. And I'm spending a lot of time like, what are the problems and what are the solutions to these? And so right away, I become kind of a go-to in the ward anytime there's any kind of critic or apologetics taking place. And But by the time I get to be 32, I'm three years into serving bishop, and, and that's when I crashed in. Okay. Uh Great. Uh, should we go right into the crash and uh, tell and uh, the story since then, please? Sure. So at 32 years old, I just I wake up one morning, and rather than this old arrogance that I used to have of I know the problems that nobody else even knows, and I know the these really intricate solutions to these problems. It's it's almost like that kind of just goes off to the side. And all of a sudden, with some humility, like I come across this thought, like, why am I the only person who knows? Why am I the only one in this ward or stake who understands all of these complicated issues that is even aware of them? Like, why, why doesn't every member of the church get introduced to this stuff in some way? And, it, and it's almost like a recognition, like, oh my goodness, there's mechanisms in place here that shield people from having to deal with this. And and that all of a sudden just was this last weight on my shelf that just caused my shelf to fall. And and so here I am, I'm serving as a bishop. I'm in the middle now of a faith crisis. I don't want to tell anybody. And my first thought is like, let me write my stake president and just ask to be released. And I'll just sit in the back of the chapel and and not 
and let me give me some time to kind of sort this out. And my next thought was, no, let's let's be proactive on this. And so I ended up writing uh, Elder Holland and wrote him a uh, a letter, and he ended up passing on a note to Elder Marlon Jensen, who reached out to me by telephone and then later on by email to try and help me reconcile some of this as I was serving as a bishop. And then several months later, Elder Holland himself talked to me. Neat. I guess when a bishop says, I'm having these issues, they, maybe uh, you get pretty fast uh, action on it. So that that's neat. That That's fun that, that, uh, that you got that personal attention. So what were their, I mean, well, I guess just tell the story. Did that help you or did, you know, at what point, you know, were you at the time that they were talking to you? It it helped, Dan, but it was it was a unique moment of like these guys care and they're willing to have conversations and they're promising me that they're aware of these issues and that they're working on them and that there's going to be resources available soon and, and they were speaking to the gospel topic essays, which were at that point still in production and not oh, quite published okay. yet. Okay, that's good. And uh and they didn't really have answers to my questions. Like I'm throwing issues out and they really don't have solutions. Elder Holland said, you know, essentially have faith. The church is true warts and all. That was his, his comment. And Elder Jensen gave these kind of, um, these answers that soothe, but don't really give the ability to discern truth from air where just have faith. We'll figure it out on the other side, those kinds of solutions, but, but nothing really, answering those complicated questions. But but the one thing this did do was having this conversation with them, it gave me like for the first time permission to kind of talk to my wife, who I had kept in the dark the entire time on my faith crisis. And so I remember coming home one night and I'm like, that's it. I just have to tell her. And I'm scared, Dan, because you read all of these horror stories online of the spouse overreacting or making this a line in the sand when somebody has a faith shift. And and so I'm worried that my wife is going to essentially begin the end of our marriage if I tell her this. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm scared to death. And I go s- sit down with her and I say, honey, I've got to talk to you. And she goes, what is it? And and I explain to her what's going on. Like, I don't know that the church is true. And here's the issues. And these are these are really problematic for me. And I don't have good answers. And they're, they're causing me to have serious doubts about the church's truth claims. And her response back was beautiful. She says, um, she says, let's go church hopping then, and let's go try other things out. Wow. Right? And that answer is gorgeous because what it does is it gives you time to process, yeah. to, to just be quiet and still and, and know that, oh, she'll go with me. If I decide to leave, she'll go with me, so let's just stay a while and take our time. And, and I should say, Dan, I'm privileged in this way. Like Many of the listeners are not. Right. I'm a convert to the church. My parents are not members. My... My wife was supportive. She has been from day one. My my children are young enough that they're responsive to these conversations as they're going on, and they're not older and kind of kind of uh, entrenched in an orthodox Mormonism. Right. And, and so I'm just I'm really lucky. My situation was just extremely supportive from every angle that that I'm able to kind of do what I do, but. That was kind of the initiation of my faith crisis, and it went on for a few years where I'm trying to constantly deconstruct things and put them back together 
and see if it fits in this new way. And then sometimes you know how this is. You'll you'll get to this like place where you're like, oh, okay, it fits together like that. Until you know, two weeks later, when you discover something else, and you have to take it all apart again. Yeah, absolutely. We tell people, don't we? These uh, faith transitions take decades or longer, a lot a long of time. time. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to talk about faith development a little bit more, but uh, let's continue with your story. Um, so, so when you were talking with the elder, the uh, general authorities, you were still the bishop. When you told your wife what you told, and then she says, "Great, let's go church shopping." Were you still the bishop? I was still a bishop, okay. and so I she ended didn't up serving. Mean, she didn't mean like doing it the next week because you had your duties. What it was like when you're done being bishop? He was willing to do it right then and there, but because it gave me the time to slow down and to process all this, I just I just held on and said, okay, let's just keep doing this because I love the members of my ward. They're all, I mean, I know each of them so intimately. I just I care so deeply for each of them that it was a blessing to serve in the midst of being also a burden because of having a faith crisis kind of behind the scenes while you're serving as an LDS bishop, um, the magnitude of kind of that tension um, could be over overwhelming at times. But I ended up serving about four and a half years. So about another two years or so after, after I end up having these conversations with Elder Holland and Elder Jensen and, and kind of revealing my faith crisis to my wife. And uh, at about four and a half, four and three quarter years, I end up reaching out to my stake president and saying like, okay, this is getting to be too heavy to do to do this faith crisis thing and to be the bishop. Mm-hmm. Would you mind considering uh, you know a change? And so it was a few months after that that they they actually made the the change. So I almost served a full five years. Right, neat. And then, uh, so where are we in uh, calendar at this point? Is this five years ago? Seven years ago? So, oh, I have to sit and think about this. Um, this has to be probably now at this point six years ago, maybe maybe four years ago, four years ago. Okay, and so somewhere now between being released as a bishop and moving to southern Utah, you began Mormon discussion. Was that just a way of processing out loud what you were going through, or you would come somewhere to a little bit of a settled place by the time you started that podcast? Tell us about that section. Yeah, I felt I had come to kind of a settled place where I said, okay, this is a lot messier than I thought, but there's still there's still something to these truth claims. And so I actually started the podcast while I was serving as a bishop and all of these conversations are going on behind the scenes as I'm doing the podcast. I, I, I reach out in this my, – my whole idea behind doing the podcast, Dan, was that, as you know, if you go back five years ago, you know, other than maybe John DeLynn and Mormon stories, there's very few voices out there. And, and so as John begins kind of entering these conversations, you're coming in and entering these conversations, the, the number one thing that I was encountering as I was having – um, dialogue with people was that folks felt really alone. Like there weren't a whole lot of outlets to support the questions they had in the in the exploration they needed to do. And so I just felt prompted, like let's 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 start a podcast as well and see if we can reach a few people along the way. And I tried to do it very early on from an extremely faithful perspective, talking about the grace of God and the doctrine of Christ, and to focus on. Um, more of the spirituality of Mormonism, and then sprinkling in um, some of the difficult issues. Right. But but within maybe I don't know maybe two months of doing this, uh, 
Steve Densley from Fair Mormon reached out to me and said, you know, I love what you're doing, love your work. Would you mind coming on board and helping us with our podcast? And so I spent the next, I think, year, maybe year and a half with Fair Mormon uh, essentially heading up their their, uh, lineup of podcasts and, and recording quite a bit for them. Yes, and then I know eventually there was some tension there, and you just said, okay, I'm going to go back and resurrect Mormon discussion, or had Mormon discussion become under fair? No, no, it was separate the whole time. Okay, so time. I would, okay. yeah, I would record an interview, I would put different intro and outro music depending on which program it was going on, Got it. That's and then right. send it off its way. Okay, cool. And I, I know you've told probably your story of, about leaving fair. Let's kind of leave that one behind, but uh, sure. everything's fine that way. And so now you're uh, probably in the four years ago range and Mormon discussion is going strong. Let's, let's quickly d- differentiate a little bit between like a show like yours and, and a show like mine where um, we're both in that sense, we both have this sense of we're Mormon. Uh, we've chosen this. It's chosen us. This is our people. This is, uh, you know, where mad, wonderful things have happened in our lives. And to the degree that we can, we always want to give it the benefit of the doubt and stuff, but we're not afraid of issues. When I look at your show versus mine, it seems to me that you um, do a much more, well, you're mostly monologues. How often do you have... Uh, interviews versus you just uh, saying, I'm going to hold forth here for 30, 40 minutes on a topic. Um, let's, let's talk about that difference first. Sure. I probably do an interview maybe one every eight or nine, 10 episodes, somewhere right. in there. Yeah. And, and, I'll, and I'll just get on a fix sometimes where I'll interview three or four people in a row. And then, and then I go back to doing a monologue for five or six, seven episodes. And it, it just depends on on my drive into work that morning, what sounds interesting, and then all of a sudden I'll, uh, a thought will pop in my head, like let's approach so and so, and let's see if if they're willing to have a conversation on this topic. Um, but generally, mm, I would say seventy to eighty percent of what I do is just monologue episodes. Right, right, and it's clear that you prepare quite heavily for them. You have, uh, do you just work off an outline? Do you have? paragraphs that you've actually written that sometimes you know end up almost word for word you're super articulate so I, I i don't know exactly how you do it but it seems like you really know where you're going to go from point to point to point or are you just uh, magical with the editing and you make it look like you're going from point to point to point <laughs> it's actually neither and i this this is one of those moments where i i'm going to sound boastful but essentially <laughs> on my drive into work that morning i say you know this topic i've never explored before i'll get in here to work a little early I'll take out a little piece of paper, jot down five words, and then I start the recording. Wow. Well, and you're so, impressive. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's more of um, – Well, and, and, and you, Yeah, go ahead. You're, I was going to say, you, you're you understand. Off, yeah, and you're often drawing on this wealth of information back from when you were really exploring hard. So you probably have somewhat of a pretty quick memory for key scriptures or, you know, oh, I remember a few words of this quote so I can quickly Google it or something like that if you wanted to work it in. I'm guessing that's... Yeah, I've got I've got a thousand flaws. We can do another podcast where we talk about those. But one of my gifts is that my memory is exceptional, and, and so I can do that. I can read things, watch things, study things, and then three years later, if I need it, I can pull it right out. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's a gift of mine too. Good thing those drugs didn't uh, eat, eat both of our brains, right? <laughs> or maybe they helped. Maybe that's the key <laughs> yeah, that. hey, they opened us up to uh, <laughs> bigger fields of uh, we're t- tapping into the Ashconic records or something. There you like go. That. Yeah. By the way, I'm actually enjoying right now uh, at the gym the uh, one that you and Jack Nanique did on magic and uh, paranormal and all that stuff. So I'm about halfway through, so I should finish tonight. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Uh, it's good it's a good conversation where you have these two people who both love mormonism and one's trying to hold this general goodness that it has and the other person's trying to point out the specific unhealthiness that's in there <laughs> i we won't say who's who but i know who it is <laughs> anyway well actually maybe that's a transition here uh, so mormon discussion is going along and you're certainly i think characterized in the, uh, you know, uh, supportive of Mormonism, basically, even though we're not afraid to, to dive into tough issues kind of camp. It seemed like a few years ago, maybe there was a shift. I know the policy was a big shift for you to where at least it seemed like more and more of your shows became a bit more... I don't know if critical is the right word, or at least it's a little bit more like Bill Real Unleashed. Were you ever sort of at one point kind of censoring some of your wilder thoughts and now you're a little freer with them? Or Just tell us about that shift. I think you know what I'm talking about because you and I have chatted a, a time or two over the years about uh, some of that. Yeah, I think I think generally speaking, when you're looking out into Mormonism – and and folks who know the issues and they're holding maybe apologetic ground, and I'm only going to speak for myself and what I maybe perceive out there in some of those folks, but, but again, only speaking personally, there's kind of this recognition like, oh my goodness, this is a lot messier than I thought, but I have to kind of hold this together because I don't want to be responsible for people walking away from this beautiful religion and and so you put your best foot forward and and hence most of my episodes early on even though behind the scenes I'm really wrestling with some of right. these issues I'm I'm putting on what I would consider my best my best foot forward of these faithful conversations these faithful interviews and at one point I just recognized like I'm not being authentic and it's hurting me and so I decide one day to record an episode titled Our Bad Days. And if I go back in time, like that episode got so many responses of people saying, Bill, thank you, because it sounds like for the first time you kind of pulled back the curtain and showed us who you really are mm. and what you're really wrestling with. And uh, and so for the that kind of gave me, again, permission, because I was worried when I put that episode sure, out, I was scared sure. to death that people were going to listen to that episode and just walk away from the church. And, and the response was very different. And so I said, oh, we're all big enough. We're all mature enough to have these difficult conversations, and they need to be had. And so I start having what I think is more vulnerability to my to the audience, to the listenership. Mm-hmm. And, and at some point, you're right, Dan – November 2015 comes along, and if I go back just the day before that happens, I, I've got, I had gotten to a place where I recognized that Mormonism was messy and, and a lot of things didn't add up, but the history – I wasn't going to leave the church or, or lose faith in the church over that messy history 
because I, I had this sense that things were getting better, things were improving, and that voices at the top understood this precipice moment that they were in and that we had to become better at these these critical issues, uh, one of which being the LGBT issue. And all of a sudden then the next day happens, and when the November policy comes out, it absolutely crushed all the hope that I had at that moment yeah. that Mormonism was going to improve and become something better than what it was. And, and now I realized like, oh, we we say we're led by Christ, but what that means may be very different than the way it's been imposed. And Christ may actually be sad standing on the sideline waiting for these men to be willing to ask the right questions and in the meantime allow great harm to be done. And that kind of awareness kind of sent me down a completely different path of letting go a little bit of Mormonism as my foundation. And I'm speaking specifically of that moment because it's it's become even greater and greater as time has gone on. But letting go of Mormonism as my foundation and being pointed off into another direction, which was Christ and the things that he stood for. And so I essentially started to kind of let go of the church as the central part of my life and begin to take on um, a, a, a more inclusive approach of Jesus and truth and it being found throughout the universe rather than just in this this tribe. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and and now that you're there, aren't you like going to yourself, well, isn't this what the scriptures say? Have faith in God? <laughs> you know, uh, the kingdom of God is within you. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not an organization and it's not a, a particular people, I guess, unless you really get into the chosen people kind of thing or, or you know, really want to think that Peter's talking about us as the peculiar people, us Mormons versus, you know, anybody who's following Christ and good goodness and all those kinds of things. So uh, did, did you have that moment of like, oh, thank goodness, I've actually, now I'm putting my faith in, in what's important. Yeah, you begin to realize just how small Mormonism is like 0.2% of the population, and then that's everybody. And if you knock it down to just the active members, now it's like 0.07% of the earth. And you start to realize like, if this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, then, then this plan or whatever God is, is way bigger than Mormonism. And so you begin, I begin to open myself up to truths in the universe. Like, like I, I'd never given space to other voices before. Like I always looked for truth with my authorities. And now I realize that my authorities don't have all the answers. And some things they're, they're wrong on. And so I'm willing to open myself up to other voices in the universe. And not in a, not in a, like, like, um, uh, in that way where you're like, oh, I'll listen to him, but I distrust what he's saying, but like a real vulnerability to what Richard Rohr has to say oh, or what Bob Bell has to say or yeah. what John Shelby Spong has to say. And there's this real sense of like, oh, these guys are are sharing real wisdom that isn't available in my tribe, and it speaks to the very core of my soul. Yeah. Yep. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like we were on the same journey there, my friend. Uh, so that was, uh, uh, those were big moments for me. I, my luck, I lucked into just having a real interest in world religions from an early age. So I think it was a little less dramatic for me. And also the fact that I wasn't a convert, uh, you know, whereas you were, and this was, this was home, this was it, this was the truth. Every spiritual feeling you had was connected with Mormonism. And now you've been able to tease that apart. And so I, I, I really admire uh where you've gone and and how quickly you actually have gone there you know what i mean uh in many ways uh, let's talk about i mean we, we had a list of five things that we decided that we would cover together and one of them is faith development and you started to even start some of use of the language there of at least uh within certain one of the models for faith development this idea of moving from uh others authority to yourself as an authority and uh you know opening yourself up to things beyond your tribe, uh, beyond just the system that you were thinking in and things like that. Do you want to tell anything more about the shift in your, you know, tone or anything? Or are you wanting to dive into faith development right now and how that has played out in your life or why you're fascinated by it? Let's jump into the faith development only because I think as we tease some of these things out, it's going to become apparent some of the ideas behind the tone okay. change. Okay, sounds good. Let's do it. Uh, so why don't you just dive in and what would be, I know, I know you've done tons of shows on faith development and so have I. And, uh, you know, I did nothing but read faith development literature from late 1997 to almost 2000. It was like crazy. Uh, and I even have a book that I'm planning to do um, on it. But are, are you, tell me what your your hopes in, addressing this topic is. I'll let you lead this section for sure. Sure. So if I go back in time, you and John DeLynn and Tom Kimball uh, did an episode on stages of faith and you framed it in this, this, in Mormonism, in this tribe. Yeah, that's right. And, and for the very first time, I, I listened to that episode and for the very first time, Dan, it clicks with me that I'm not having a Mormon experience. I'm having a human experience and I just so happened to be in this tribe of Mormonism. Yep. And and so very early on, faith development and the ideas behind it capture me. Now, I want to be honest with, with your audience. For me, much of this, yes, yes, it's my lived experience. Yes, it's in my soul somehow. But to some extent, I'm intellectualizing these concepts. And, and I'm not like Thomas McConkie, who's – it's like just interweaved into his being – so these things tend to be a little more heady for me than than they tend to be kind of in the heart. But I do feel deeply about this because I sense like human development is real. And if we go back in time, like our ancestors thousands of years ago, they only they only had the tools and ability to get to a certain stage of development. And as time has gone on, human beings have generally edged more and more into these deeper stages. And I think in our world's history, like right now, is this really cool moment where folks are edging into a new stage generally. Like the median human being on the planet over the course of their life is moving into a later stage than their grandparents did. And I find that to be so interesting. So I listened to this episode with you, Delin, and Tom Kimball, and again, it hits me for the first time, like, oh my goodness, this is a human experience. And so I start to eat this stuff up. And so I start reading um, Janet Hagberg 
and Robert Gulich, The Critical Journey. I read a book by Kathy Escobar titled Faith Shift, um, a, a book by Margaret Placenta, uh, Placenta, Placentra Johnson titled uh, Faith Beyond Belief. Um, there's an online article by John uh, Paulian. Uh, title stages of faith. And these things all begin to like say the same language. Like we start off as little children, very egocentric, very self-centered, very, very much concerned with our own uh, survival. And we move eventually out of that state. Most of us, I, I actually know somebody who I feel is very deeply still in that egocentric stage, eventually move into ethnocentricity where our tribe is the best tribe and we want to protect those boundaries and we we have rules for our tribe and we want to live up to those rules and we want to make sure others live up to those rules and our authorities are the best authorities, <laughs> other authorities are deceived and I want to look to my authorities for the answers because they have them and if they don't have them, they'll soon have them and I just need to stay still and trust my authorities and we want everybody to look and walk and talk like those in our tribe and anybody who's different, we become defensive, we feel threatened. And most human beings, as you know, stay somewhere in that ethnocentricity. Some of them move more into um, a, a leadership role within that ethnocentricity, but they're still trying to hold the boundaries together while they explore kind of the edges of those boundaries. And, and again, so few of us, so few of us humans leave ethnocentricity and move into world centricity where we begin to kind of step outside of our tribe and weigh the merits of our tribe with other tribes without without uh, as much bias with more uh, objectivity and as we make that kind of transition we begin to sense like oh there are other authorities and those authorities often have better answers and more wisdom than my authorities. And, oh, I don't need to look like, walk like, talk like somebody in my tribe. I can just be myself. And then one day this magical thing happens, Dan, where you look inside yourself and you're like, oh, I have authority and I have wisdom and I have answers. And I'm going to trust my gut and what my, what my soul tells me over top of what any authorities outside here say, like I'll still listen to those authorities both in and out of my tribe, but I'm going to weigh the merit of what they say against my own authority and my own authority decides where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. And you all of a sudden become not duty bound. You, you all of a sudden become not protective of the rules and the lines, but rather you start to seek out people in the margins and those who are in this same kind of development. And, and I think Mormonism is a beautiful, a, a beautiful f way in, in which to wake people up to development and to encourage people to see how these stages work and to help walk people into later stages, or at least to hold their hand as they move through them. What makes it so uh, good for that? Because uh, I think that would shock a lot of listeners, to, you know, because for, for so many of them, their Mormonism has been dominated by, listen to us, stay in the boat, good ship Zion, uh, we'll lead you safely there. Uh, I agree with you, but I'm just curious as to what reasons you draw on for saying Mormonism actually is quite, it has a lot of stuff for uh, open development. Had had Mormonism 
worked perfectly, had Mormonism been healthy, had Mormonism not been messy, I would have never woken up. And so while people want to hear... That's an interesting angle. Okay, okay. I hadn't expected you to lead that. Okay. So because of the messiness... And I think most people in any religion, the more that they look into it, they realize that too. So we're not just singling us out there. But you're saying Mormonism, because of its messiness, and the people who found your podcast and my podcast, you know, they know this. (laughs) But you're saying it's a good thing that they're in these uh, crises or these shifting moments. Right. Mormonism can hurt and, and can even harm and in the midst of that, and I, and I don't in any way want to smooth that over and say like, oh, it's okay, but only because of that kind of tension, that kind of butting heads, which I think causes deep fractures if your eyes are open to it, it's that tension that for me, and I think for many others, is a catalyst out of ethnocentricity. Like if your tribe really does look like the best tribe, and if your tribe really does behave like the best tribe, then there's no reason to ever question it or to look outside of it. And it's only when you begin to sense like, oh, my tribe is hurting people. My tribe is unhealthy in these ways. Do you open yourself up to saying, I wonder I wonder what how other tribes handle this. I wonder how other paradigms work. And so I look back at Mormonism when I was a 17-year-old, and the beauty of it and the magic of it was the perfect thing for me. And I will always, always deeply appreciate what Mormonism was to my 17-year-old self because it gave this kid who was who was going down the wrong path, it gave him a sense of um, importance. It gave him a sense of responsibility and an opportunity to grow and develop. But in that same regard, the unhealthiness of Mormonism in the here and now that I recognize is just as much a benefit to me as it's a catalyst for moving me through stages of development as I wrestle and butt heads with my authority up against the authority of my tribe and continually try to feel out like where's right and where's wrong and how does this work and how does that work? And and so most people want Mormonism to be beautiful and peaceful, and I certainly want it to be more beautiful and more peaceful. But to some extent, I think you need a certain level of unhealthiness in your tribe to wake you up to stages of development. Awesome. Okay, I like that. Uh, do you uh, do you have any other things the way you say Mormonism is a great place to, to, to even you kind of even use language of nurture you along. So do you get into some theological positions or, you know, some gist of the Mormon cosmology or anything like that that you think helps with faith development? Or is that only me that dives into those areas? Um, I don't know if this is the right place for this. Maybe this doesn't fit with what you're asking, but there came a point in my in my own life journey where I had always used Mormonism as the path. It was always, this is this is the path. This is the way in which God intends us to live out our lives in relationship to these ordinances, in relationship to these authorities, in relationship to um, this theology, and get our, you know, get myself back to God. And then one day I kind of recognized like, oh, Mormonism is not the path. Mormonism is a tool belt, and some of these tools are useful, and some of these tools are not useful. Some of them are just heavy 
and and they don't do a lot of good for what I'm trying to to do along this path. But Mormonism becomes a tool belt that I that I wear, I choose to wear, but I look around and I see other tool belts laying around and I could easily set this tool belt down and I could pick up another tool belt, but these tools are familiar. These tools are the language and symbols that I use to interact with the world and in Mormonism, I think unlike a lot of other religions because it is so immersive inside of us and it's so much of our worldview that it's in our bones like it's hard to like set these tools down and pick up other tools and and so I decide to I choose intentionally to keep this tool belt this is the tool belt I'm going to use on the path but the path for me is I look at Jesus and I listen to the conversations he's having of you know straight is the the gate narrow is the way and few there be that find it or you have to lose yourself to find yourself I, whoever Jesus was, and we can talk about the historical Christ if you love to do that. I would love to, to maybe spend a few minutes there, but whatever the historical Jesus was, the Christ of faith found in the scriptures seems to be pointing to us letting go of ethnocentricity, letting go of outer authorities, um, and, and developing our inner authority, and moving into a space where we love and include those who are different than us. And that we actually sit with them and listen to who they are. And, and so I, I feel like Jesus is encouraging us to see the path as that of development. Does that make sense, Dan? Oh, totally. I agree that he does. Now, throw the Mormon piece in it. Are there aspects of Mormon thought that uh, maybe move beyond the typical Christian thought, or at least that you find as uh, maybe a, a lesser... Uh, used tool within Mormonism, but it's definitely there in the belt that uh, needs to be brought out and to to work with. Um, do you like things like the plan of salvation and even you know the whole following? The, it seems to me like follow follow that all the way to its conclusion that you're going to be uh, perhaps one day in the fellowship of the gods to where you might become uh, you know somebody who you know brings a whole new cosmos into uh, being and, uh, you know, decides that I'm, I'm willing to, you know, share my life and my uh, gifts with every being and, you know, let them know joy into whatever level they, they choose. Let's say you're doing that. It seems to me that when Mormonism articulates that well, it sings that you're going to have to develop beyond relying on somebody else's authority, you know, for instance, or, you know, just that idea that we're eternal beings, that we've never been created, that I love things like, you know, all intelligence uh, can be, you know, added upon. Uh, just this this basic stuff of the cosmos is about growth and development. I love those things in Mormonism, and to me, they encourage uh, continued faith development like you're talking about. Is that something that you play with much? Uh, it, it isn't, and, and I'll give an example of why. I... I, I'm much more focused on the the tension that's caused, and, and here's an example: when when an investigator has the Mormon missionaries come over to his home and they come into his house, you're right, Dan. Like there's this deep idea of agency and the ability to within oneself discern truth. Like the missionaries are teaching somebody, like don't trust us. Don't trust any of the authorities. You go read, you go study, you go ponder, you go pray, and you get an answer for yourself. But again, the tension comes in that the moment that investigator decides to get baptized, 
all of a sudden there's this dramatic shift where now you no longer are asked to completely trust yourself and the answers you're getting, but instead now here's this authority and and whenever you have an idea and this authority has an idea and those ideas compete, there's this subtle and sometimes not so subtle encouragement to trust that outer authority inside the tribe. And and so I don't I don't play a lot in the in those grounds that you're speaking of kind of often in the cosmos as you're talking of. Rather, I'm much more I don't know, I'm just much more interested and find a lot more um of my own personal wrestling to occur within the conversations of of here is here is healthiness and in and in inside and outside of Mormonism, but then there's also these ideas of things that are going on that are unhealthy and like how are these things butting heads and how are these things kind of running up against each other and what's the repercussions of that and and where do these kinds of conversations lead if that makes sense no absolutely that's great and it's it's partly temperament it's partly you know i'd wrote a dissertation on metaphysics <laughs> so you know i'm i'm attuned to those kinds of things so you know mormon metaphysics and starting points and gists and all that stuff but no i think uh, there that's where you're doing it is great work i was just struck early on when you said about faith development that this is a a great place to keep you going and encouraging you into the wider, the deeper, you know, the stages that seem to be able to hold more tension, that seem to be able to, you know, handle, uh, you know, all the multitude of voices rather than saying, I want to just have it be clarion call clear, you know, those kinds of things. I, uh, I was just curious what you saw in Mormonism, and I, I guess I haven't yet heard heard that from you uh why mormonism is great on that so um maybe to speak to that i I think that what mormonism does well like if you're in ethnocentricity mormonism works really beautifully and as you move out of ethnocentricity like you need you still need some kind of tension in your life because you now recognize that tension has propelled you out of ethnocentricity and so you look around and you say like like i could stay home on sundays i could sit i could sit in my pajamas and play madden 18 but i need some way if if i'm going to be true to myself like i need some way to like wrestle with the world and and again, recognizing that Mormonism is one tool belt that I can do it with. And I think Givens, Terrell Givens and Fiona have hit on this when they've been asked, like, what is it that's unique about Mormonism? And, and Terrell will riff off on these five ideas. I know some right. of them are, right, like the, the pre-mortal life and families together forever. And, and he'll, he'll go off and, and name the other three, which I don't know off the top of my head. But these ideas are not necessarily solely unique to Mormonism, but they're more prevalent, they're more um, expanded upon within Mormon theology. And so I find those ideas to be really interesting. Like the idea that we lived before we were here, and the idea that we're going to live after we're here, and the idea that families are together forever, when you're in ethnocentricity, I, I feel like that sometimes hurts you because you'll sometimes sacrifice your time with your family Right. Knowing that you've got this time on the other side to put this all back together and to make it all work out. But where I'm at now, Dan, like like I don't know what's on the other side. And maybe this is the only life we have, but these ideas still prompt me to be concerned 
for those around me, especially those within my home, and to recognize that relationships, if anything, I think Mormonism points to this, relationships are, are so not only crucial, they might be the most important thing in our entire world, and, and they're valuable, and how we treat others uh, is so important. And, and so I think once you leave ethnocentricity, those concepts of families being together forever and that we were with God and we will be with God, I think still prompt a, a encouragement to be deeper connected in the here and now, even once you leave ethnocentricity and see those ideas as particular to your tribe. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And we, we you and I, are, we're, we're kind of mixing some of our topics here together. Uh, one thought I guess I had maybe before leave this whole theory of, uh, you know, does Mormonism encourage this um, sort of stuff? Uh, t- to me, what you're just saying about families forever and relationality and, you know, even going back to what you said earlier where earlier people, peoples weren't able to develop to higher uh, levels of developments. It's because they were less relational. You know, they had fewer people in relation with them and stuff like that. But Mormonism, when you totally look at it, it has God as the most relational being of the universe. That's what makes God a willingness to be in relation, to be in positive relation, to be encouraging always to any, you know, entity that happens to exist. That's what Godhood is about. And then it talks about the divine sociality all the way around and that God is always inviting us into the same uh, sort of state that that God as this council or this uh, you know group of beings or whatever it would be or maybe it's it's merely a husband and a wife you know or a male and a female in in some sort of way Mormonism has all those kinds of things that play super well on relationality and uh, to me I'm, I'm with you I don't know what the future holds um, but these these core ideas, not necessarily, you know, like right where they were started, where the fire of the idea is that this is good. I can live there and I can sort of ignore or at least, OK, somebody took that key idea and they turned it into this dogma or this particular doctrine. And they said, this is exactly the way universe is. I'm still luckily able now to say I can still see the fire of it. And even like when you're in this cosmocentric rather than ethnocentric universe i'm able to say okay i can affirm the gist behind that i can you know the the thrust behind that it feels good to me and, and that's how i guess i play with my mormon tool belt now yeah i i know that thomas mcconkey once told me said that there was a time where human beings for the very first time as a collective edged into ethnocentricity and that edging into ethnocentricity likely saved the human race in that moment. Right. Because right? they needed for survival and whatnot. Right. Yeah. That they were finally, for the first time, willing to work together in large tribes rather than families. And that that working together in large tribes kept them from killing each other off. And and that, to me, was so like magical to kind of hear this idea of this, this stage that feels so far behind me yet is part of me right here, right now. To look at that stage and have so much animosity towards it, and yet to recognize like that stage saved the human race. And and then to fast forward to where I am now, Dan, to kind of what you're talking about, like Mormonism taught me what it was like to be like God and and that everybody was a child of God. And while I no longer hold those concepts 
definitively in the way that Mormonism interpreted them for me, I now look in the eyes of people, I look in the face of people, and and what is most real right now, right this moment, is looking at those people and like an intentional effort inside my head to see them as God sees them. And Mormonism, again, it's not unique to Mormonism, but Mormonism is what gave that to me. Mm-hmm. And yet I've taken that and and done something different with it where I look at somebody who's LGBT or I look at somebody who's in another tribe or I look at somebody who who is another authority who offers wisdom and I look upon them with love and appreciation and seeing them as God sees them. And, and that is happening right now, right here, more in my life than it ever has before. And in some ways, it's Mormonism that gave me kind of those baby steps into that. Yep. Nice. Thank you for joining us today on Mormon Matters Podcast. To discuss this podcast with others, please check us out at mormonmatters.org. Mormon Matters contains no ads, relying for its funding solely upon the support of people like you, its listeners. To keep it moving forward, please consider a monthly subscription or make a tax-deductible donation today at mormonmatters.org. Music for this podcast was brought to you by Shalan Hunt Clayson. You can hear more of her music by visiting her Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Shalans Music, C-H-E-L-A-N-S-M-U-S-I-C. The Mormon Matters logo was generously provided by studiocase.com. Thank you for listening. Searching.